Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the Titan Sized Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Sized Podcast, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. And um, today we are going to be joined by a really great NFL analyst. His name is Johnny Kinsley. I'm sure a lot of you know him on Twitter as at Brickwall Blitz. He makes gift threads, he charts quarterbacks' deep throws, he just does a lot of really awesome stuff on Twitter. And we're really glad to have him on the show today. Uh, but before we get him on, we're going to talk a little bit about the Combine, which is coming up soon. It starts on Friday and goes Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And so let's just chat a little bit about some prospects we like. And we'll start with the inside linebacker position, because I think this is, at least top-heavy anyway, a pretty solid draft at that position. Obviously, uh, Roquan Smith is going to be long gone by the time the Titans are on the clock. But two names that... Uh, one will certainly be there, I feel like, but one has a chance to be. Those guys are Malik Jefferson from Texas and Rashawn Evans from Alabama, two very athletic inside linebackers that from early looks seem to fit the mold of what that position is becoming in the NFL today. So I'll ask you guys to sort of chat about your thoughts on those two players as prospects and sort of your thoughts on the philosophy of taking an inside linebacker in the first round because it's obviously a position the Titans are going to need a, a new player at with Avery Williamson uh, likely departing. Yeah, honestly, personally, I'm not totally sold on taking an inside linebacker um, in the first round. Uh, it is a position that is still important, but it has been devalued over the years. Um, and I just feel like you can get a decent inside linebacker um, in the middle or later rounds um, that could give you essentially the same production that maybe a guy in the first round uh, would. I mean, I've seen a little bit of Malik Jefferson, and I, I've seen him in games just just not make it much of an impact at all, especially in the run game. He seems like, I'm not going to say he's, I, I remember Mike Mayock once saying this about Zach Brown, that he was allergic to contact. And at times it kind of feels like Malik Jefferson is that. Uh, he's not really attacking a lot of the time. And this isn't in every game, of course, but I have seen that in a couple games, in a couple big ones too. The good thing about Malik Jefferson is he's, incredibly fast, incredibly athletic, and he's a fantastic blitzer when um, when the defensive coordinator uses him on blitzes, which they did a lot, a lot of um, throughout his career. Um, and Rash Rashawn Evans, I, th I would take over him at this point. Uh, Rashawn Evans is just a, a little bit more... Um, more proven. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't say he's more athletic, but he's uh, a more sound tackler, definitely better in the run game, and seems to get get uh, seems to be able to diagnose plays a lot better than than Malik Jefferson um, can. Um, but I just don't know if I would if I would commit to one of those players in the first round, especially um, in a draft that has some edge talent uh, at that spot and even running back talent at that spot. And I think you can get someone like T. Gray Scales. Uh, from Indiana, who's who was a fantastic college player, uh, and for some reason isn't getting talked about along with some of these linebackers, and he honestly might be just as good as them, and he may go a couple of rounds later. Yeah, uh, Scales is good. A guy named uh, Sidchi from Wisconsin who didn't play, Jack Sidchi, I think, 
uh, from Wisconsin who didn't play this year is outstanding when he's healthy. He probably would have been a first-round guy if he'd have been healthy. Uh, Josie Jewell from Iowa is really solid. The thing is, is the Titans already found the hard linebacker to get the coverage linebacker. It's easier talking to about find Avery Williamson, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. The great cover linebacker. Um, so, like, you when you've already got that, it really de-emphasizes that position because you can start taking away tight ends when you use them correctly, and you can be more sideline sideline. Uh, I, I, I mean, Malik's good. He's good. He'll be a good second round guy. I think. I don't think he'll be a first round guy. Evans is different. Evans is violent. I mean, when he hits people, sometimes it looks like a car crash. I mean, he is aggressive, which I love. Alabama defenders are known for that in college, and it's different when, you know, you're allowed to shoot a gap and stuff because you've got, you know, five, four stars sitting right behind you who will make the play if you miss it. There's a difference confidence level there. But, I mean, he's not Reuben Foster because he's not sideline to sideline. He's not that sort of freak athlete cover every blade of grass. But, I mean, you don't want to see him inside the box. I mean, and he can cover some, and he's not – I mean, he's not stiff, but, I mean, he's the perfect guy to pair with Jayon Brown. So, if the Titans did take a linebacker in the first round, I'd want it to be Evans. Having said that, I don't think there's any need to take that over, you know, pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of pass rusher, let's hit that position. Um, when we, we, we did a, uh, a, a little mock draft where we went through and sort of alternated teams. And when we got to the Titans, uh, picket at 25, uh, that ended up being my selection. And obviously the Titans have a big need at, in, at pass rusher. But at that point, and, I, and the thing we did, there wasn't anything there. Uh, you had already taken Hercules Mata'afa, Will, and Harold Landry was off the board. And I don't think Arden Key is a very good fit in what the Titans do. I think he would be another Kevin Dodd, to be completely honest. Just a, a, a bad fit. But at that position in a hole, it seems like a pretty strong draft up front. Um, you know, I mentioned Arden Key. Obviously, uh, the Boston College kid, uh, who uh, what's his name again? Bradley Landry. Chubb. Landry. No, no, no. Oh, wow. NC State. My bad. NC State. Yes, yeah. He's going top five. Well, he's going to be long. Yeah. But, yeah. But aside from him, you have uh, Okoronkwo from Oklahoma. You have, as I mentioned, Hercules Mata'afa, um, Harold Landry. So of those three guys, I know your answer will, and <laughs> your, yours will probably be similar, Matias, but which do you think is the best option for the Titans and uh, Why? And do you think that is the position they need to go after? Yeah, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to steal uh, Will's spotlight because I mean he knows more about Matafa than I do. But from what I've seen from Matafa, there's no doubt that he is the perfect fit for Mike Rabel in terms of what Rabel wants, which he's already said it's front multiplicity. And Matafa is literally the definition of front multiplicity right. because he played defensive tackle in college. Uh, at 250 pounds, and he was mauling everyone. No one could block him. Um, and at the next level, I see him as an edge edge pass rusher. But even on uh, on passing downs, he can absolutely kick in and just play inside uh, and wreak havoc. So, I mean, I'll let Will talk more about him. But I mean, I'm I'm not. I still love Harold Landry as a prospect. I'm not sure he's going to make it all the way to 25. Um, I, I know people want to say that that that. His 2016 season was a fluke, but I don't think it was at all. He was struggling with an injury this past season and was still make, making plays. He's really good at bending around tackles, uh, around blocks. And, um, yeah, no, he's a fantastic pass rusher, and I'd be totally fine with, with either of those guys. Yeah, Harold Landry's good. I, I, I like him. He's he's kind of one note, but it's a really good note. I mean, he can get around and replace the shoulder or the offensive tackle and get behind him. I mean, he's really good. And if you watched him last year, you would have. I mean, and you knew the Titans were going to pick at twenty five, you'd be you know ecstatic to have him. My my thing is, yeah, I, it's it's got to be Monta Alpha. So, um, in case y'all don't follow me on Twitter, Monta Alpha is Washington State's defensive tackle. He's he plays the exact same position that Solomon Thomas played. Stop, 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 stop. Who is 
yeah, crunching who's potato doing that? chips in front of their microphone. <laughs> Not me. I don't, I don't have any. It can't oh, be me. I'm oh, talking. I can't do it anymore. I had to take my headphones off. What was that? Is it me? Like, yes, is it... yes. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. I'm not doing anything. You're crunching potato chips mic. in front of the microphone. That's what it I sounds like. I don't have like. potato chips. I was talking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, talk. talk. Is it oh, still I just saw a play where Landry got uh, got injured. Go ahead, sorry. Jarvis Landry? No, Harold Landry. <laughs> okay, what do you mean? Oh, my Landry? gosh. What is it doing now? <laughs> I'm sitting here. It's I how... think you're fine now. No, I huh? heard more noises. Like, worse. Hello? What? Oh. Alright, okay. keep, keep I think it. we're good. Yeah, just go. <laughs> oh, okay. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> Did y'all still hear it? Uh, no. We will in a minute, but... Okay, so is, is it just going to sound like I'm crunching potato chips while I'm trying to give my explanation sounds, on the podcast? It sounds fine right now. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to talk about Mata Alpha. Okay. <laughs> so um, the answer is Mata Alpha. You know, he's he's the guy that Titans fans should want. Uh, he's a defensive tackle for Washington State, if you don't know. He plays the exact same position that Solomon Thomas played in the exact same conference, except he's better at pretty much everything. Um, he's clearly built for defensive ends. So you don't have to worry about where you're going to play him. I mean, he is as explosive and flexible and, you know, effort-driven. He's he's everything you want in a player. And because people didn't stay up late at night and watch the Pac-12, they don't know a lot about him, and they're, you know, they're easy to rush to other bigger names, but this combine's a great time to watch him and see how he does in his three-cone and all that. If he does well here, people will start saying, oh, well, I always thought he was a top 40 guy, even though everybody has said that he's a day three guy or a, you know, a late day two guy. But everybody will say, well, I've always thought his film was top 40, but I was hearing that you know he was going to go later. But now I'm hearing after that he's going to – if you watch the film and honestly watch the film, you know he's a first-round guy. So, you know, I'm I'm really excited to see him, but he would, you know, I would be head over heels with him at 25. Well, what's the most important uh, drill for a pass rusher, not outside Recount. pass rusher? Recount. It Being able to bend, like, it, it, I mean, it's good to be fast. It's good to be quick off the ball. But if you can bend, it, it's really hard to block you. That and reactionary speed. So if – if I'm a pass rusher, first off, if I'm fast, I'm going to win enough to stay in the NFL for 10 years. So if I can get off the ball quickly, that's great. If I can bend and stay low and you can stay lower than the offensive tackle's hands, they can't touch you, and that's why Von Miller is so good. Hmm. Um, if I have a counter move, then I can stay in the NFL for 10 years like DeMarcus Ware did, where I can set you up outside, and all of that comes from three-cone and understanding of football. So if you can bend and stay low around those cones, which is why, you know, how people get faster times, it will lead to more success in the NFL. I don't believe there's anything that's more of a one-to-one correlation of success is three cone. And then you have to judge it by body size. I mean, if Indomitian Sue, who I think had a really good, you know, just draft and draft process in general, if he has, a six and a, a six point nine second three cone, which I can't imagine he did. That'd be crazy. It's not the same as if Leonard Floyd had a six point nine three cone. Yeah, because you factor in all those different things. But if if there's one drill to watch, it's the three cone. Um, Matthias, before we move on from uh, edge rushers, talk a little bit about Akaronquo because I know you like him a lot. Oh baby, what a player this guy is. I sound like uh, I sound like John Gruden. No, but I really do like him. Um, the hype has kind of died down uh, on him. Uh, I'm not sure why. I mean, he had a really good um, final season at Oklahoma, um, and I, I think he's a perfect a perfect edge rusher. Um, I, I'm not sure how big he is. He he does seem a little. Is he like six one or something like that? I don't know. Yeah. I don't really I don't really think it matters. The way he plays is is 
he's pretty violent. He has a lot of good pass rush moves. He can beat you in a variety of ways. He's a good run defender. Um, he has a great motor, which is important. Um, and he did it for a big time school and he was very productive. And I don't know what else you would want from pass rusher. He was listed at six one two forty. Yeah, so he was kind of it's a weird it's a weird weird dimensions wow. for NFL.com has him pegged as a four to five round pick. Yeah. That is absurd. Absurd if you've ever seen him play. Yeah, it's it's a lot of this like speculation and one guy kind of watching one and a half games of him and saying that, you know, it, not that he's necessarily a one-to-one because I think he's better, but Elvis Doomerville is somebody who was like mm. sub six foot and was really good and had really yeah. high peaks in the NFL. Elvis Doomerville, if he retires, which I'm, I think he is, he either is or is about to, he, he ended his, he ended his uh, career with over a hundred sacks. I mean, you don't have to be six, four and he was, he was 5'11", his Wikipedia page. So it's 5'11", 250 pounds. So you want to talk about some weird dimensions. If someone is 5'11", and 250 pounds, that's 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 unique. Don't yeah. Know. He was unique. Um, one, one last topic before we uh, hop into our talk with Jonathan. Um, the running back position. Who was it? Uh, was it Mel Kuyper that pegged the Titans taking... Ronald Jones in the first round. Rojo. Yeah. Yeah. It was Kuyper. You know, I'm very critical of Derrick Henry, but look, he's a starter. And the Titans, I think, would be smarter to just draft or, or sign a Charles Sims or a Jarek McKinnon to back him up in free agency because I, I don't think either of those guys is going to cost all that much money, like maybe three, four, five million dollars a year tops. And so I think that would be a better option than spending a draft pick, especially a, a day one draft pick on a player like that. But this is a pretty good running back class, obviously Saquon Barkley, but behind him you have Ronald Jones, you have Sony Michelle. Uh, we thought we were going to have Bryce Love. We ended up not ha- getting him. Uh, you have the other Georgia running back, uh, Nick Chubb. Uh, a lot of people, Tennessee fans anyway, seem to think John Kelly is going to be the next big thing. Uh, but this is a, a good – I'm not going to say it's a great class, especially after Bryce Love uh, said he was going to stay at school, but uh, it's a quality class for sure. Yeah, so first let me defend uh, Ronald Jones because I love him as a prospect. Um, he He's a really good running back. He reminds me a lot of Jamal Charles, and it's, it's not just the dreads uh, and his number. He really does. He has a similar build to him, and he's also has a, a lot of underrated power um, in that slight frame, uh, really smooth pass catcher, and he can hit a home run from anywhere. He has He's electric, and he's really fast, uh, and he's got pretty good vision. So I like him. The problem is I wouldn't spend a first-round pick on him um, just because this is a pretty deep running back class, and it's specifically deep in the type of running back that the Titans should be looking for, which is a pass-catching running back. Um, so there's players like Sony Michelle. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's going to make it to the second round pick for the Titans. But regardless, there's Sony Michelle. John Kelly's a really good, uh, smooth pass pass catcher out of the backfield as well. Uh, Kalen Ballage from, um, where's he from? Arizona State, I think. Uh, Mark Walton from Miami. Akram Wadley from Iowa. There are so many um, pass catching running backs in this draft that you could pair perfectly with Derrick Henry if you're totally sold on Derrick Henry. So I don't see the need for the Titans to 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 use a first-round pick on one when you can get one several rounds later. Yeah, so just kind of to point out running back history, last year uh, you could get the fifth-best running back uh, in the second round with the Titans pick. So let's say you love Barkley, which, okay, then let's say your next guys are in some order Ronald Ronald Jones, Sony Michelle, and Geis. So now you're at four. Then you kind of have to say, okay, do I like Nick Chubb enough to take him there? It, it, it gets kind of hazy. So historically, you're going to have to trade up if you want one of those four guys. So that it's a concern. I say all this because – in my head, I know that it makes no sense to draft a running back in the first round period. Historically, you get more value. There's no way if you ask them and they're, you know, if they drink truth serum or whatever, 
that the Jaguars would tell you that they're happy with Leonard Fournette, that they would they would have much rather had Kareem Hunt or uh, Kamara in that draft if they knew everything they know now. So, And both of those guys were third-round picks. So th- there's just not a ton of value there. Um, but then, like I said, you're going to have to find somebody who fits your offense well, which I think works with LaFleur because I think he'll kind of help massage that and make it easier. Um that that's all to say, you know, I, I wouldn't mind taking Ronald Jones if the rest of the draft was really solid, but it's not a draft I think that would turn the Titans into Super Bowl contenders. It was it would be something that I think makes them just kind of more sustainable. Um, Matthias, you're the big Miami guy. What do you think about what is it, Walton? They're running back, Mark Walton. Yeah, what do you think about him? I haven't watched him yet. So. At Miami, he was essentially a workhorse running back um, until he went down with injury. Um, and then Travis Homer came in for him, and he was really good. But before Walton went down, he was essentially the number one guy. Um, it, he's kind of small, but he reminds me a lot of uh, Giovanni Bernard. Um, he's a really good, really good pass catcher out of the backfield. But what separates Walton from a lot of other running backs in his draft class is his balance. Um, so whenever he takes contact and it looks like he's about to go down, he just has his uncanny ability uh, to stay on his feet either by using his, his hands or just just his ridiculous um, ridiculous legs to to stay on uh, stay on his feet um, and work through contact and keep gaining yards. So even though he looks small and he's probably going to be typecast as a pass catching running back, I do think he could be a lot more than that. Um, and I think he could be a 15 to 20 carry, 15 to 20 carry a game uh, running back at the next level. In, in addition to being a really solid um, receiving back. Okay, so w- with that in mind, that's kind of what I've heard about him. But I, I don't trust anybody unless they've seen him, and I know you've watched him for a long time. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> it, uh, would you take him in the fourth round instead of taking a running back in the first round? No doubt. I, yeah. I don't think he's going to last that long, though. Yeah, well, th- I mean, that that's that's the kind of thing is, like, all these guys, Kamara shouldn't have lasted. We heard talks that Kamara was going to be a first-round running back yeah. you know, mm-hmm. right before the draft, and he should have been. I mean, I, things- I have receipts on Alvin Kamara. Look at my Twitter. Yeah. Like, a year and a half <laughs> ago, I said Alvin Kamara is going to be really good in the NFL. Trust me on this. And, Mainly it was just Luke yelling it at us while we were like, I don't know if Kamara's going to go high, and he just kept screaming round one at us. So maybe that's all the buzz. <laughs> but, I mean, like, guys like that fall through the cracks all the time. David Johnson mm-hmm. was like, you know, guys, just, you know, it's year after year we've learned don't spend a first-round pick on a running back. In fact, Mel Kuyper is Mr. Don't spend a first-round pick on a running back if I, if memory serves, and yet, you know, his auto draft formula or whatever he had ended up with <laughs> Ronald Jones. Um, just like we were drafting uh, Goddard, the South Dakota, or is that what it is? South Dakota state tight end. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what we had the week before. So let's not put too much credit in Mel Kuyper. And uh, y'all should read the uh, book illegal procedure. It's got some interesting Mel Kuyper stuff in there about kind of why maybe don't listen to him as much as you think you should. But I, I'm, I don't know how far I'm allowed to say without actually slandering somebody. So I'll just also say it, it, it's all My first thought upon the selection of Alvin Kamara in the third round. Well, actually, I had two. Number one, why did he last this long? And number two, why did the Saints take him? Because that was when they had Mark Ingram and Adrian Peterson. Yeah. Yeah, and there was talk of Kamara uh, being considered like a, a slot receiver. Um, by a lot of teams, and that's why a lot of teams were interested in him. Um, I think even the Titans were mentioned as a possi- possible um, interested team, oh, but that gosh, didn't come to fruition. Oh, gosh, if only that had happened. Yeah, we were we, also linked to McCaffrey, that we wanted him as, as a slot receiver type, so I don't know. I'm going to order Maybe this we'll... book, Will. It looks interesting. It's great. It's a really good book. It, it'll It'll make you kind of respect the draft process in a whole different way. We've got a special guest with us today, and that is Jonathan Kinsley. I know a lot of you guys know him from the uh, the Marcus Mariota Twitter thread he did a couple weeks ago. He he his Twitter handle is Brickwall Blitz. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for taking time. Thanks a lot for having me. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing pretty well. Uh, 
you ready to talk some football? Because I'm excited to pick your brain on some things that I think a lot of, not just local, but national media people ignore. So let's hop on into it. Uh, Let's do it. Yeah, so I did a radio interview last week, and they asked me a question that I was like, had no answer to and the question was um how would you evaluate marcus mariota as to where he is in his career right now and that's a question that i've really struggled with because we've seen like in his sophomore season just how accurate he could be and you know he won uh afc offensive player of the month in november but then this year you know people want to blame it on the offense but there were plenty of times when he would throw the ball right to a safety and some of that may be scheme-based, whatever. But So start out by answering that question for us. How much of Mariota's poor play last season goes to Robisky, goes to the lack of a running game, a crowded, cluttered offense, and how much of it is a Marcus Mariota problem? Well, to start, uh, I personally think that Mariota was set up to fail from the beginning by the coaching because – Mariota was put in an offense where he wasn't set up to be this, uh, be a pocket passer, which to me is where he's at his personal best. He was often throwing the ball vertically with unproven vertical receivers. Corey Davis was injured. Tiamon Taylor was dropping passes. Delaney Walker was dropping passes. Eric Decker was dropping passes. Everybody was dropping passes. Nobody was creating separation. And in addition, the offense was also asking him to be flawless, throw inside impossible windows with generally seven guys blocking, and two receivers downfield. So this made it impossible for him to thrive in. Now, a lot of people are wondering, was Terry Robisky actually as bad as people seem to think? The correct answer is yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe even more. I mean, this was probably the worst game I've ever seen. The How long have you been watching film like you do now? I would say four years, four and a half years. Okay. Mm. Four and a half years. That, that's, that's still a which, lot. Which means you saw the I've Ken Wisenhunt Titans offense, which wasn't much better. Oh, God. That, that, one, that one looks like Sean McVay's scheme. <laughs> <laughs> like this. Oh, Hugh Jackson's looks like Bill Belichick's comparison. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I, I'm very well aware 9-7 to seven is a lot better than 0-16. But work with me here, guys. Work with me. Robisky was terrible, but the bigger problem to me was that Mike Mularkey did absolutely nothing to convince him to adjust the play con. Absolutely nothing. Throughout the entire season, just said, oh, well, we will stick with Terry Robisky. We will stick with the plan we have. And, yeah, they barely made the playoffs because of that. That, in turn, ultimately sealed Mike Mularkey's fate in Tennessee because of his loyalty to Robisky, and then the ownership eventually fired them both. So, Mariota had a lot of bad stuff in that offense. He had a lot of turnovers. He had a lot of inaccurate throws. But given the circumstances he had to face, I think that every competent passer, even guys like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, every one of those guys would suffer under that offense if they had to fit the ball into the windows Mariota had to. Real quick, when you say that Robisky's offense was bad, what exactly do you mean by that? Because we hear fans complaining that, oh, it's run, run, pass, and it's predictable. What, what do you think is so bad about the system that was run last season? Well, the problem with that is it's basically the, the exact same system as it was in 2016. It really wasn't that predictable, but because no one saw it coming, which means it wasn't predictable, but nevertheless, um, the Titans were able to have a lot more success on that, and Mario's stats were able to go up. The problem is, here's what typically happens in the Titans' offense. You got seven guys dropping back, protecting Mariota. This makes the pass protection all that much better at the cost of like the amount of receivers going downfield. Because the Titans usually had two, vert- two vertical guys going downfield, very isolated routes, very cluttered. No one can create any separation, and it just, it just uh, it suffocated the entire offense. And I, I don't even need to get started about the trick plays. Those are probably the absolute <laughs> worst I've ever seen. Like, you, like you think you think Chuck Pagano's fourth down <laughs> punt play call was awful? Yeah, just imagine that, except multiplied by a billion, yeah. and you get Robitsky's off. So you mean to tell me you're not a fan of a red zone reverse to Eric Decker that ends up being a double pass? Yes. 
Amazing fun player. Fa- fun fact about that. I I believe they did uh like two like two rollouts in uh two different games against the Chiefs. Both on two point conversions. And guess what? Both completely failed. Because oh, I hate rollout plays. Hate them. Especially when the Titans yeah. on them. Yeah. I mean, it, it just depends. It, it just depends. If you if you have misdirection, you're, you're able to do it. The problem was the Titans didn't have any misdirection. Everyone was going in the exact same direction, so the defense saw it. It was an easy read. No one was going out was, to the opposite direction. And it was, it was Harry Douglas most of the time. So. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Point. Man, don't, dis- don't disrespect Harry Douglas, the best fifth receiver. I don't know. <laughs> he, he's, he, he's a water boy. Yeah. Yeah, he's a coach. So um, sticking to Marcus Mariota and uh, going outside of the scheme, uh, essentially, um, in terms of him as a quarterback, when everything is perfect, he has a clean pocket, his receivers are running good routes, what is his biggest strength and what do you think is his biggest weakness as well? Well, in previous seasons, Titans fans often said that Marcus Mariota was this very efficient, very accurate downfield passing guy. When, to me, this is more of a case of the Titans giving him a bunch of passes to throw the ball deep to. So it was a case of volume over efficiency. However, when I charted him for my deep ball project after uh, 2016, just, uh, let me, to start uh, in 2016, his, accu- his accuracy on all throws of 16-plus air yards was 43.6%, which ranked 26 out of 31 quarterbacks in the 2016-2017 hmm. edition of the deep ball project. However, in 2017, his accuracy in that area was 62.4%, which would have ranked fifth if he were charted that year. Not sure what changed, wow. but I, yeah, I, I just assume he like he took a great step up in accuracy on vertical throws. And the irony is, I think this in a year where everyone thought he took a massive step down. So, I don't. I I guess his weaknesses. He's not really the most mobile quarterback, although that's, that's kind of a nitpick. He's not, he's not a guy like Tony Romo or Aaron Rodgers. He has, he has good mobility, but not that mobility. Again, that's nitpicking. His arm strength isn't really to the level of Matthew Stafford or Aaron Rodgers. Again, nitpicking. So those are basically the flaws I have with him. Like, like those are very, very tiny quote unquote flaws that don't really matter. What do matter are his strengths. So, uh, his pocket movement is incredibly underrated. Vision is underrated. Progressions are underrated. He's at his absolute best as a pocket passer. You, I, I'm pretty sure you guys know this as well as anyone. He mm-hmm. can diagnose coverages by moving defenders with his eyes as he's throwing the ball, creating open receivers with these, quote-unquote, no-look passes. It's, it's honestly one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen as a quarterback analyst. And he's been like he's been doing it since uh, I think his sophomore season, so that's something that's developed along his career. And and let's let's, let's get this straight real quick. You're not a Titans fan saying this, right? You're not going to games wearing a Mariota jersey. <laughs> I mean, I could. I mean, I could be if the Browns continue to suck. <laughs> I, need, I need a You're team to root here. for. I rooted for the Vikings last year. I'm gonna, I need I need I need to root for the uh, the underdog. The underdog dog good team. Mm-hmm. The good underdog team. It's go. us. Yeah. Um, so, um, he he also has excellent footwork, and despite what John Gruden may say, he has great ability against pressure. Isn't really phased by it. <laughs> Gruden had no idea what he was talking about whenever we were on Monday Night he Football. Thought he, like, he thought he was a running quarterback. It was like like it didn't make any sense at all. He's just he's just going with the exact same stereotypes that. Mario was facing when he was uh, at it, Oregon. Under, did the Titans uh, go to Oakland offense. this year? They did not. They did not. Oakland came to Tennessee. No, no. I think do they go been... this coming season? I think they go oh, to year, Oakland. Because didn't o- no Oakland finish second in that division? I feel like, or no, the Chargers did. That's right. We go to San Diego. Yeah, o- yeah. Oakland finished third. That was that was terrible. <laughs> I have a theory. That is the first week that Gruden got the offer to be the uh, next Oakland coach is because after that, he had phoned it in in every single – I mean, he just kind of <laughs> fell back in the background and just started repeating the same stuff he'd repeated for years. I mean, that was when he started becoming the worst analyst on t- – it was just hard to listen to. 
Yeah, I agree. Like he, like he was a, he was normally like a quality uh, play-by-play guy in the previous season. Yeah, like like you said, he was just completely phoning it in. It was like Tony Romo sucked his soul out. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I hope that ne- I hope that never happens to Romo. I hope he continues to do what he's doing. Yeah, Lord knows we need it. So, but but yeah, but anyway. Um, is is that Mario's accuracy is phenomenal? His downfield accuracy is a lot better this year than it was last year, and I personally think it's just his production should flourish on the before with the hopefully more versatile style of offense that he should be able to bring. So we okay. I'm a former offensive lineman. We've kind of talked enough about quarterback for a second. So nice. <laughs> one of the things that really, really, really makes me mad this off season is. Everybody wants to mock a tight end or a center or a guard of the Titans. There's obviously no need for a tight end. They've got every kind of prototype you could want there. Mm-hmm. Offensive line, as far as I understand zone blocking schemes, which is what Los Angeles is going to bring, yeah. there's not a heavy emphasis on guard and center play. You don't invest heavily in those positions because you just there's just not value there. Like. Really, if you're the center, all you have to do is reach the next gap over and be able to either move up to linebacker or hook the shoulder if you're running your stretch plays. It's just not a hard position to fill. Chris Myers was, a, you know, a bottom of the barrel guy who got tons of Pro Bowl nods year after year with the Texans in some similar version of this offense. And every time I see that the Titans need to go out and add another guard or center with their first round pick, it drives me crazy. You study this stuff a lot more intently than I do. Am I am I way off base here? Well, what needs to be realized about the uh, zone blocking scheme, first off, is guards are half of the equation. You need to have good guard play and good tackle play, generally. Sometimes there's a center that assists the guard. So, But mostly, you need a good guard play, good tackle play, for these double blocks to successfully work on the left side and the right side. You have a left tackle and a left guard blocking a guy, and then you have the right guard and right tackle blocking a guy. Simple stuff. It's actually one area to me that I actually really like from Rabitsky because they regularly ran this style of zone blocking. Um, there, there's actually there's actually a quote from uh, the former Rams offensive coordinator head coach Mike Martz on uh, the zone blocking scheme. He says, if you want to run zone running plays, you have to do it over and over again. You have to have reps. And that's basically what the Titans and Rams both have done after watching both offenses. So that so investing in the guards is really important. There's an example of this. You guys may be familiar with this. Uh, Derrick Henry's game-stealing run against the Colts Monday night mm-hmm. came on a brilliant, brilliant zone-blocking blo- play call on third and five. Brilliant. Rabitsky and brilliant. Two things I never thought I'd say in the same sentence. But <laughs> here we go. It happened. So, on this play, it's an outside zone scheme. There are two tight ends on the far left. The center, Ben Jones, assists the zone block on the right, while the right guard, Josh Klein, is running across the line of scrimmage to lead a path for Henry. He's running outside Delaney Walker and Johnny Smith, which, which makes it an outside zone scheme because they typically go outside the tight end. The right tackle manages, manages to block the, def- the defensive end that is trying to chase down Henry and he prevents the outside linebacker, excuse me, outside linebacker is the one chasing down Henry. Defensive end is going up. But the outside linebacker is trying to chase Henry. Uh, the right tackle chases him down with a block. The Colts have nine guys near line of scrimmage on this play and no one is dropped back outside to help cover and bring Henry down. So there is a complete gap over there that the Titans are ready to exploit. So with the right guard, Klein, providing a block on the left corner, no one is close to bringing Henry down. So it's a brilliant brilliant play call, and because of the perfect execution of the double blocks, Henry is able to use the sideline ability to take off, score a touchdown. So guard play is very important in the zone blocking scheme. Definitely one of the key elements, one of the two major key elements. And the Titans can invest in a guard like Andrew Norwell with the Panthers or Justin, who was previously with the Bears. And I think both both guys are really talented. But Noel probably might be the better signing because he's younger, he's healthier than Sidden. Sidden missed a couple of games last year, I believe. And the floor, and so to conclude, the Flores offense guard play is absolutely crucial because guys like Robert, Roger Saffold, Jamon Brown were heavily involved in zone blocking last year. Combination was phenomenal. Quinn Spain 
played with a foot injury, so we don't know what they'll do with him. I, they might move on from Klein. I'm not. Even, I'm not sure. He is a free so, agent. Ah, there. That makes sense. So, an investment in either Noel or Sidden would do really well for the Titans in the Florida long term, and I think they can uh, move that out to either left guard or right guard, depending on what they see fit. Perhaps more than anyone else, uh, I have been very critical of Derrick Henry, really for the last like year and a half, and it's because when he was at Alabama, you know, we saw him. Obviously, he's not going to have the same kind of production, but we saw him hitting, you know, hitting the inside, running over linebackers, and getting to the second level and outrunning safeties. And what, for the last two years, I have sat in Nissan Stadium and seen him do is hit the hole and then run backwards and try to, like, get the edge. And he always just gets pushed out of bounds. Try to get to the sideline. Yeah. And, you know, he made the comments prior to the wild card game against Kansas City. I, I run soft. I need to run tougher. And he did in that one game. But then against the Patriots, it was right back to the, the same stuff. In half of the Titans games this season, nine of the 18, Henry ran for 3.25 yards per carry or less. Am I crazy for thinking that Derrick Henry is someone who has no idea how to use his talent and that the Titans need another running back to help him out this year that's not DeMarco Murray? I'll tell you what, it's not completely crazy. He definitely needs more carries. He's a guy that for some reason was better than Murray despite the worthy criticisms you presented, and yet they still started Murray. Despite the fact that he was a lot slower, he lacked the power that he had in, like, 2014. And he he lacked the quickness after getting the ball. So he was was constantly easily stopped and typically got, what, like three yards a carry? I think the Titans should move on from him. And they definitely do need a back to compliment Henry. I haven't actually watched any of the running back prospects yet. I've been too busy with the threads, and I've been too busy watching the quarterback prospects. But I think they could use a couple of free agents. I think C.J. Anderson is available. I think he would be a good option. I'm not a big, I'm not a big Amir Abdullah guy, but they, they could consider him if for some reason what, what, what he was available What do you think about some of the guys that Titans fans mention a lot? I know a lot of fans say Jarek McKinnon. You, you did. Uh, I saw Jim Coburn do something on him today. I'm not a huge McKinnon fan. I really like uh, Charles Sims from Tampa Bay. What about those guys? Well, I think McKinnon's a very good receiving back. He's always been in a situation where he's, like, he's, been, he's been running behind a bad offensive line. And then last year, he gets a good offensive line for a change. And as you, as you saw, like his stats were a lot better um, because he was in a better scheme. He was constantly getting more space, and he was able, he was able to get more yards as a result. Charles Sims is a guy that is crazy fast crazy fast i like in his like in his defense the reason he's like not really so sought after is because he's a receiving back in an offense that has mike evans deshaun jackson (laughs) yeah cameron braid um howard Howard, adam humphreys and chris godwin so there's all these (laughs) receivers that they're trying to develop and they're trying to distribute the ball to and then there's this receiving back Buccaneers aren't known for the running game at all. Doug, like Doug Martin fell off completely. That's why they released him. Charles, like so, Charles Sims would definitely be a good option to complement Henry. Um, yeah, so with Henry, he, need, he definitely needs more carries. Uh, like like you said, he's a guy that constantly goes to the sideline, which is completely aggravating. Part of it might be on the coaching, but it's the other parts uh, definitely his instincts. One thing that needs to be certain is he needs to be involved a lot more in the passing game. Let me pull up the stats up here. Let's see. He had 11 yard, uh, not, not yards, 11 receptions for 136 yards all season in a passing game. Hmm. And 66 of those yards came on a screen in week 17, a 66-yard touchdown against the Jaguars. That's 66 of his 136 yards of receiving all season. That is atrocious, and Matt LaFleur is definitely going to need to get him a lot more reps in the passing game as a result. The problem is he looks really awkward sometimes when he's uh, when he's going on those routes and trying to catch passes. But he does. I mean, he, he it, it needs to be like a completely clean uh, 
clean catch for him to actually do something after the after the catch. But uh, going uh, going back to the quarterback position because it is the most important position on the field. Um, and going into the 2017 season, I think Titans fans were, were were very optimistic about where they were as a team and especially at the quarterback position, uh, and especially with uh, Andrew Luck uh, not not um, not practicing and going through that that shoulder injury. Um, so, but things changed in the 2017 season. Mariota. Um, as many Titans fans would have you believe, was terrible and regressed, even though it's not true, but it doesn't matter. That's what a lot of people think. Uh, Deshaun Watson was lighting it up when he was in there. Um, Blake Bortles even was making plays late in the season because his offensive coordinator was fantastic. And uh, he had a good um, he had a good wide receiver course. But regardless, right now, if you were to rank the AFC South quarterbacks, how would you rank them? And let's assume that Andrew Luck right now is the previous version that we saw of him? Well, if he's the previous version, I'm definitely going with him at number one. Mariota's mm-hmm. a close number two. Um, I probably have Watson at number three, and then I have Bortles at, like, five. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 t- I take one of the backup quarterbacks from either team. Maybe, like, who's – who? oh, yeah, Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett at number four. Yeah. And then Bortles at number five. <laughs> He, like he, like he's that big. I, I know that Will really doesn't like Deshaun Watson very much. You want to talk oh. about that, Will? Uh, I mean, yeah. We okay. So, okay. Here's my thing with Deshaun Watson, and it may just be my bias speaking up, and it may not be. When I watch him, it looks like he doesn't play just super in the framework of the system. It seems like he's kind of a scramble around guy who just throws a lot of deep balls who he happens to have the fastest receiver in the NFL that's actually playing instead of John Ross. And uh, like one of the, you know, the guy who should lead the NFL in offensive pass interference in DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. You have those guys and nobody's calling any flags. It seems to be real easy to just run around until they run open and chunk the ball deep. Now, I know that that's not – I don't know exactly what you've seen, but I know you've done a lot of work on the difference between uh, Watson and Savage in terms of, you know, what went wrong and why – because I'm going to be honest, I wasn't a believer in Watson, and then slowly as the year went on, it seemed like teams had no idea how to defend him and they were going to let him scramble around. And I was much more worried down the stretch about the Texans than I was the Jaguars because I knew at the end of the year – whatever the Jaguars were doing right would end up fading away because they were putting their faith in Blake Bortles. And that didn't happen the way I thought it would, but eventually it did, you know, a little mistake against the Patriots not going for it. Being a, anyway, um, the, the big question is, is what happened to the Texans? And am I right about Deshaun Watson? First off, I feel like you have more of a problem with DeAndre Hopkins than you do Watson. Well, that's like, <laughs> common sense. <laughs> cheats every play. But that's, I mean, I mean, Hall of Fame. I mean, to, I mean, in your defense, like, yeah, he, like he's probably the king of offensive pass interference. Yeah, I, I'd say that he is the fan of his. But uh, and anyway, I I actually do agree, agree to extend. Like, I actually don't think Watson is that good, to be honest. And it's a good thing I'm on a Titans podcast and not a Texans podcast because I get <laughs> cut off right now. Well, I would get murdered. But here, yeah, yeah. Well, let's 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 see what you have to say about this. You said he's not good. Let's like dive in. I want more. Anyway. <laughs> I didn't think he was that good. He did some positive things in his rookie season, some. But he, like, he, he, he was in a great system. He was constantly throwing off balance under pressure, was generally inaccurate, wasted clean pockets by dropping his eyes and taking unnecessary sacks. And, of course, the play of DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, Bruce Ellington greatly helped as well because uh, those three receivers are very good at catching the ball and creating separation. The bigger issue to me, for the Texans offense regressing completely is Bill O'Brien completely changing the offense in the absence of Watson with Deshaun Watson, Bill O'Brien gave his, his rookie quarterback tons of play action, tons of option plays. So this was making the offensive line so much better. The receivers were easily open and Watson's job was a lot easier. When Tom Savage came in, Bill O'Brien took away the play action read option. And considering what Nick Foles just did in Carson Wentz's absence, leading him to the Super Bowl, winning Super Bowl MVP with the exact same core offense as with Carson Wentz. There's no excuse for the for Bill O'Brien to change the offense. 
Look, Foles is a complete statue in a pocket, but you do not to, you do not need to be mobile to run RPOs or play action. It certainly helps, but it's not a deal breaker if you you're not mobile. O'Brien didn't understand that, and as a result, Savage got more pressure, had to throw with more precision. To Watson. I actually have a few stats that I like to bring up from the Deep Ball Project, surveying these guys throwing downfield. Deshaun Watson versus Tom Savage, 2017. Their total accuracy on all throws of 16-plus yards, Watson, 39.2%, which is extremely low. Savage, ready? Ready? 50%. Yeah. 50%. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, yeah, I'm as mind-blown as you guys are. I'm just like, what? How is, how is Tom Savage not atrocious in accuracy? He's horrible. How is this happening? I don't understand that. I still don't understand that, but it happened. Anyway. Crazy. Like, but there's there's more to this. Watson received play action on 16 of his 51 downfield passes. That's 31.4%. He was accurate on five of those 16 passes, which is 31.3%. Savage, on the other hand, received seven play action passes on four on. He received seven of his total 44. Seven of his 44 passes were on play action. That's 15.9%. And he was accurate on two of seven, which is 28.6%. That's not really that far from Watson. But seven out of 44. How, like, I, 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 don't, I don't understand how you change that. Like, that's, that's setting up your quarterback to fail. Yeah. Watson had a clean pocket on 40 of his 51 downfield passing attempts. That's 78.4%. Savage received a clean pocket on 30 of his 44 deep attempts. That's 68.2%. Watson was under pressure on 21.6% of his downfield passes. And Savage was under pressure on 31.8% of his passes. So there's a huge step up in pressure and a huge step down in terms of quality pass protection. In regards to the windows, Watson had an open window on 39.2% of his passes he was actually accurate on 60 percent of those open window passes where like open window being receivers completely wide open you got an easy throw he missed eight throws he had a 60 uh 60.0 percent accuracy percentage which is pretty bad if you're throwing to an open receiver yeah but here's the mind-blowing thing savage had an open window on eight of his 44 pass attempts that is 18.2 percent of his pass attempts. But it gets even more mind-blowing. He was accurate on 75% of his open window passes. He was more accurate in that field than Watson was. But wait, it gets even crazier. Like, like, <laughs> like you, thought, you, th- you thought that was as crazy as, as you get. Like, no, it can get even crazier. Watson threw into a tight window downfield on 60.8% of his pass attempts. That's 31 out of 51. He was accurate on eight of those 31 passes. That's 25.8%. Savage threw into a tight window on 36 of his 44 pass attempts. He had eight passes where he wasn't asked to to throw the ball in a ridiculously impossible window. So 81.8% of his passes were on tight windows. He was accurate on 44.4% of those passes. 44.4% to Deshaun Watson's 25.8%. Stick with me. It's, uh. it, still gets, it still gets crazy. Um, Deshaun <laughs> Watson getting swept by Tom Savage. And Bill O'Brien, Tom- too. Bill yeah. O'Brien's losing his damn mind right now. Huh. Um, Savage had nine accurate passes that were dropped by receivers in comparison to to Watson's three. The crazy part is, like, when charting this, Hopkins actually had five of them for Savage. Five of those nine inaccurate incompletions, as I call them, which is really bizarre because this is DeAndre Hopkins. This is a guy that probably has the best hands in the league. Why why is he he screwing Savage like that? Like, I don't get it. And on the flip side, inaccurate completions – Watson had six. That's where like the receiver has to make an unnecessary adjustment and still make the catch. Watson had six, six of those passes. Savage had three. So to sum this all up, because this is extremely long, this means Savage 
uh, received a far worse offense than what Watson had, despite having the same players. The coaching completely changed, and that completely messed him up. In other words, Watson's injury, to me, didn't matter nearly as much as Bill O'Brien completely changing the offense, getting rid of play action, getting rid of read option. Don't, and don't get me wrong. Savage is absolutely atrocious. He, like, he is awful. <laughs> oh, I've watched him play awful. multiple times in person. Should never be, yeah. He's the second <laughs> quarterback on that team. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't even be a shouldn't even be a star. Shouldn't be anywhere near a starter. But in his defense, O'Brien asked him to be Aaron Rodgers, Cam Newton, when he wasn't even close to that, and that's just terrible coaching. Uh, last question from me: um, In the receiving game this year, you know, you talked about Robisky and whatever as far as that's concerned. But I think the, the strangest thing to the Titans season about to, to me was that. They clearly made an effort in the draft to get much more explosive at the receiver position. I mean, you draft Corey Davis fifth overall. Uh, you trade up in the third round with the Patriots to select Taewon Taylor. And then you don't throw to either of those players throughout the season. And, and this is not a coaching staff that has an issue with rookies because last year, Tajay Sharp, a fifth round pick, got something like 60, 70 targets during the season. So for, I'm still forgetting that Tajay Sharp exists. Yeah, from, from what you've seen uh, from this team on film this year, was it a talent issue? Were they just not getting it? Why did we not see more of not just targets, but Corey Davis and Taiwan Taylor actually on the field? I think it was a mix of talent and coaching, but with talent, more like more injuries. It's not Corey like Davis. Eric Decker was doing anything to outplay them. No, he was, no, he was awful. <laughs> Corey Davis was not, not healthy in his rookie season at all. Played two games before suffering a hamstring injury. Missed the next five games before returning week nine against the Ravens. So this completely uh, this completely limited his impact as a pass catcher and a route runner. He was never really comfortable. And that's something that he should be able to have next season. As for Taewon Taylor, I think I think he's a versatile route runner and player. And could have somewhat of a gadget role, taking jet sweeps under Lafleur's offense. In some way, he used Taewon Austin last year. But he also dropped uh, too many passes for, him, for his own good. That frequently showed up when I was charting. Ultimately, the bigger issue is it fell on the coaching for also putting these receivers in bad spots. The route combinations were far too predictable, and it just suffocated the entire offense. That is something that should change before his offense, and I honestly expect the diverse play calling to be there, and uh, hopefully that should be the case. So, okay, I, I, I've Blake Bortles is a bad quarterback. I, I, I need to say this in a very systematic Yes, out of question. Bortles <laughs> <laughs> is bad. And yet, if I say that and I criticize that he was given a three-year contract worth almost $20 million a year, and I say that on my timeline, everybody comes out and tries to snark at me and say, no, you don't understand. It's actually a good thing to have Blake Bortles under contract for this money because these are the only... same people wanting the Titans to give up a draft pick for Eli Apple. Right. Block it... those people. <laughs> are not worthy of breathing. <laughs> it's it's tough. And like, you need to eliminate help... their ability to breathe. Help me. <laughs> this help is polluting the NFL. As somebody who doesn't have any ties to the Titans or anything like that. Help me convince these people that that's it's not a good idea to have Blake Bortles on your team, if at all possible. And let me chime in real quick before you start. Blake Bortles was the third overall pick of the 2014 NFL Draft. And during that mm -hmm. AFC Championship game, Tony Romo talked about him as if he was an undrafted free agent making his first start due to an injury. Wow, that that's was ironic. A, Romo that, was an undrafted free yeah, agent. Yeah, he was. Nice, nice yeah. job of throwing to that wide-open tight end two yards away from the line of scrimmage. Man, that's absolutely incredible. It, it was yeah, so go right ahead. Tell, tell, enlighten us. So, short answer, Bortles sucks at the end. Long answer, <laughs> Bortles' new contract reflects the attitude the Jaguars front office has on how the, they evaluate quarterbacks. They don't really evaluate based on how poised Bortles is or how accurate he is because he's never been one of those quarterbacks. He sucked in those categories. We know this. The Jaguars evaluated him based on how little he screwed up in the postseason and how far the Jaguars advanced last year. Simple, simple uh, that's all it came down to. Wins. That's how they evaluated him. The reality is Bortles was asked to do very little in 2017. 
the previous year in 2016, he ran a vertical offense and put together probably the worst quarterback season I've ever seen. He could not operate a vertical <laughs> offense at all. The worst season I've ever seen. Which from is so strange because he has such a big arm. Yeah, but it, having a big arm doesn't mean you have great arm talent. Yeah. You can't always – like if you have great arm talent, you can adjust the velocity you're throwing. You can adjust the trajectory. And this is Blake Bortles we're talking about, and he can't do that at all. And it's it's funny because people want to, you know, praise Blake Bortles and in the same breath want to say Cam Newton's a running quarterback. Oh, you know, he's below average. That's 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 funny because people are comparing Newton and Bortles saying like, oh, Bortles is okay. better pass. I, I have watched both of them play in person multiple times. Both of them have come to Nashville multiple times within nice. the last couple of years. <laughs> There's no comparison there. Cam Newton well, yeah. is the best athlete I've ever watched in person. I, I have no issue Ooh. saying that. And, and I, I've seen, uh, I saw 30-year-old Adrian Peterson. I have seen Vaughn Miller, but, I mean, Cam's just a freak. And I've also seen Blake Bortles in Week 17 last year throw two of the worst interceptions to Kevin Byard that I've ever seen a quarterback throw. He was so bad. Worse yeah. in person than you would ever Completely, completely useless. Uh, but yeah, I, I actually do agree. Like Newton and Bortles, like their offenses are as distant from each other as humanely possible. Newton is asked to run the exact same offense that Bortles run, ran last year, except he does it way, way, way better. So Bortles was completely trash in that offense. Last season, offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett purposely stripped Bortles' responsibility to the lowest common denominator. This meant safer throws. More quarterback-friendly environments, like you said, two-yard passes that were supposedly impressive to Tony Romo, probably because he's on crack or something. I don't know. <laughs> this is Tony Romo. Like, you could be on anything. And we'd say, like, oh, this is like him sober. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> Anyways, his contributions waned from, like, holding a Jaguars back to just barely being a bus driver. And that's being generous. I don't think the Jaguars are sending for mediocrity at quarterback because, well, Blake Bortles isn't even good enough to be mediocre. He had a better season in 2017 and 2016, don't get me wrong, but that's completely because his responsibility was make zero mistakes, hand the ball off to Leonard Fournette, and compliment a loaded defense. Loaded defense. It's silly to even compare him to guys like Andrew Luck and Marcus Mariota as a result because of how easier his offensive scheme is. Mm-hmm. Jaguars should make the playoffs next year but i wouldn't count them to knock off the patriots unless they somehow draft a quarterback somehow move on from this Bortles mess that they've decided to put themselves into okay i, I know i said last question but this really is the last question and i thought of it as you were talking <laughs> right. and I, i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you one last opportunity to dump some more trash on the afc south teams that aren't the titans uh oh. will has been preaching to us ever since really like may that he doesn't like leonard fournette and Matthias and I were both initially skeptical of his opinion, uh, but I think we kind of came along. Uh, Leonard Fournette, not very good, is he? Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's an okay runner, but a lot, uh, uh, backtrack. Like, a lot of people compared him to Adrian Peterson coming out of college. Oh, no. And I think they're right. Didn't, or did they? No, they, no did, okay. they did. I'm saying that's a horrific comparison. Oh, okay, okay. Hear me, hear me out, though. Hear me out. Not nearly as good as Adrian Peterson, not nearly as good as a runner. But both of them are just known for runners. Neither, like, they weren't known for being a contribution in the receiving game. Adrian Peterson, whenever he was forced to be a receiver with the Saints or the Cardinals, completely stumped. Same thing in Minnesota. Just wasn't part of his game. He was part of a time where you could live more as a running back, didn't really need to be a receiving back. That's basically the same thing with Leonard from them. He's more of a power power guy. You run up the middle, you run up to the side. They actually use him in a very limited way. They they don't they don't give him a lot of directions to run into. Just up the middle, maybe move a few yards and occasionally break for 20, 30 yards or something like that. But he's not, he's he wasn't known as receiving back in college, and I'm not sure he can be receiving back. In the NFL. Jonathan, this has been so much fun. I'm sure this won't be the last time that we have you on this show. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, and bef- before we let you go, uh, tell our listeners how they can connect with you on social media and, and see your, your gift threads and everything else. 
I am on Twitter ha- uh, with the handle at BrickWallBlitz. Uh, I changed my name from Jonathan Kinsley to Johnny Kinsley because that's my actual name. But <laughs> that's not the important part. The important part is uh, my handle is BrickWallBlitz. Uh, I also write for Purple PTSD, which is a Minnesota Viking site. And I make a lot of kick- kick-ass gift threads. <laughs> And I'm also charting for the 2017-2018 edition of D-Ball Project, which I may do more this week. So I got my hands full. It was very fun to come on this podcast. I really appreciated you guys. Thanks so much. We look forward to the next time. Keep up the good work. All right, we will be back next week to recap the combine, talk about some players that uh, helped their draft stock, some players that hurt their draft stock. Until then, for Matthias Wadner, Will Lomas, and Johnny Kinsley, I am Luke Worsham. Thank you for listening to the Titan Size Podcast. If you want more, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Blog Talk Radio. You can listen to us three different ways and leave a five-star review and leave a comment, and uh, we will talk to everybody in a week. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.